Good morning, CBC. Once again, welcome. As always, so grateful and glad that you're here with us. We are making our way through the book of Romans, and today we will be in chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to chapter 7, verse 1, or you can read along with us on your screen. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Now, we are, are making our way through a very challenging section in uh, the book of Romans. We spent the last two weeks in chapter 6 where Paul spends an entire chapter convincing us as believers that we are dead to sin, that we no longer live there, but that we have been made alive with Christ, that we have been free from sin for righteousness. And here in chapter 7, he's going to spend an entire chapter convincing us that we as believers have died to the law, that we are no longer bound to serving in the old way, but we have been free to serve in the new way. In chapter 6, he uses the analogy of slavery. We are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. And here he uses the analogy of marriage, slavery, marriage. I'll just leave it at that. Every Sunday afternoon, Probably a couple hours from now, I will get a text message. It's a group text that goes out to about eight to ten of us early Sunday afternoon, early or late afternoon, early evening. And uh, I will get a text message uh, that will say something to the extent of roll call, who's in, question mark. And it's a text message that gets sent out to about eight to ten guys, uh, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Nick included. And it's referring to our weekly Monday morning mountain bike ride. You know, we have a, a whole crew. We even have a name for our crew. We have our own Instagram page. We have a logo that's being designed, uh, jerseys, T-shirts that are coming down the pipeline. And um, it's very cool. And I think all of you should feel slightly jealous of our coolness. But that text message will go out, and throughout the afternoon, throughout the evening, guys will respond either, hey, I'm in, or I'm out. And occasionally we'll get the, the maybe, I'm not sure. And most of the times, not all the times, but most of the times, the maybes would be followed up with something like, I need to check with the wife. Let me ask the wife. Let me confirm with the wife. Let me double check with the wife. I don't want to push my limits with the wife. I don't want to upset the wife. And whenever we see that kind of response, every single one of us is completely understanding because we get it. Nobody ever gives that individual a hard time, but it's always, hey, no worries, family first, let us know. Right, because we all know that when one gets married, you are committing to love someone more than you love yourself. 
to consider their well-being, their interest above your own, to value their happiness, to elevate their needs, to prioritize their concerns. With marriage comes a sense of duty, loyalty, obligation. And thus there is a certain amount of freedom and independence that is forfeited and surrendered not by force, but by choice out of love. Nevertheless, hence the phrases like game over, tie down, ball and chain. Because every single choice, every single decision from how you spend your time, your energy, your resources is no longer a one-person endeavor, but it's a decision now made together. From where you live, how you live, who you see, what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you eat, what you get to buy, what you get to keep, for better and worse, all those things are significantly influenced and affected by the other. Marriage is two people bound together in sacred union, inseparable, until death do us part. And you see what Paul is telling his, his, his audience, what he's telling uh, these primarily first century Jewish Christians, what he's saying to them is that one time you were married to the law. You were bound to the law. You were inseparable. But having died with Christ, having participated in his death, you have been set free from the law. You are no longer bound to it. Now, before we move on, uh, we have to ask ourselves a really important question in order to understand what Paul is saying. Why does Paul spend an entire chapter convincing his reader that they are free from the law? Now, I think most of us, we get chapter 6. Whether we like it or not, we understand why he would spend an entire chapter convincing us that we are free from sin, that we are dead to it, that we no longer live there. But why an entire chapter in convincing us that we have died to the law, that we are free from it, no longer bound to it? In order for us to truly understand what Paul is saying, we have to understand the relationship that a religious Jewish person had with the law. As we've said earlier in our series, the law was not salvation by works alone. And thus Paul isn't simply saying stop doing salvation by works and do salvation by faith because that wasn't what the law was. To view the law as salvation by works would be to discount the faith of everybody in the Old Testament, not to mention God's faithfulness to them. But you see, for the religious Jewish person, the law, the law was a major piece of their identity. The law not only was what they did, it was in many ways who they were. The law was their history, their culture, their tradition, their, their way of life. It shaped how they thought, how they perceived the world, how they viewed themselves, how they saw others. The law was God's gift of grace. It was his message to them, his provision for them 
giving them guidance and direction, enabling them to know his character and his desire, helping them to know the difference between good and evil, right from wrong, godly and ungodly. And thus their response, and rightfully so, was that they, they loved and cherished the law. They constantly recited the law. They memorized the law. They prayed and meditated over the law. They taught their kids the law from generation to generation to generation. They, they sang songs about the law. They built their entire lives upon the law. In addition, they guarded the law. They defended it. They protected it. In fact, many even sacrificed their own lives just to be able to keep the law, practice the law, and preserve the law. And now here Paul is telling them that they need to let go of the law, to be completely free from it, to view themselves as having died to the law. And the reason why is because God has something better. You see, what Paul will go on to say in the remaining parts of this chapter is that as good as the law was and is, and in and of itself the law was good, it was from God, it wasn't as good or as helpful as they thought. The law was good in that, in that it helped point out our sins, it gave sin a name, a description, a feeling, but it wasn't able to effectively address our sin. The law was good in and of itself, but it was incapable of producing anything true and lasting in our life or through our life. Last year in June, June of 2020, and I know Pastor Brandon has shared this a couple times, but on one of our mountain bike rides, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Nick, myself, Brandon took a little spill and he, he hurt his shoulder. Now, I was the first on the scene right after Brandon had, had crashed, and I knew right away that something was wrong. And the first reason I knew something was wrong was because Brandon was hurt, and I've never seen Brandon hurt. Later on, I tell him it was like seeing Superman feeling kryptonite for the very first time. The other reason I knew something was wrong is because there was a bone sticking out of his shoulder. When Brandon asked me, is that supposed to be there? I was like, I don't think it's supposed to be there. Well, long story short, we get him down the hill. We drive over to urgent care. Uh, we get in there, and uh, within minutes, they, they take him to the, to the back. Uh, Nick and I, we go outside where we're waiting. It's, it's COVID, so we can't wait inside. And we're just kind of hanging out, pacing back and forth, peeking through the window to see if and when Brandon was finished. What only seemed like 10, 15 minutes, it was a really short time when Brandon comes walking out of the, the office, and I can see him at the front desk, his arm in a sling, and he's filling out paperwork. And I'm kind of peeking through the window, not trying to make it too obvious, not trying to be too awkward, but I'm looking through the window to see if Brandon was better or not. And what I was specifically trying to see was whether that bone was still sticking out or whether they had fixed it. And at one point, I'm looking and I say to Nick, Nick, I, I think his bone is still sticking out. Like, it's not back where it's supposed to be. 
Brandon comes walking out, sure and behold, his bone sticking out. And we're like, hey, what happened? He's like, well, I got an x-ray. And the x-ray showed that I have a third degree, third or fourth degree AC joint separation. And I need to go see a surgeon in order to fix it. In other words, the x-ray had the ability to show us what was wrong, but it was incapable of fixing it. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about the law. The law is good in that it points out sin, but it isn't good enough in that it's incapable of fixing sin and addressing sin. Uh, Later on in chapter 7 and verse 14, Paul is recalling what life was like under the law, and he's giving us the best-case scenario. He says, best-case scenario, this is what it's like to live under the law. Verse 14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. All right, Paul says this is best case scenario when you are bound to the law. The law can point out our sin, but sin will always remain. It is incapable of fixing it. Now, moving back up to verse 5, and I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but in verse 5, Paul gives us a preview of where he's headed and where he's taking us to. Verse 5, he says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Right here, Paul is saying the reason we need to let go of the law is so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul isn't saying to go break the law. He's saying you need to see yourself free from the law so you can serve Jesus through the Holy Spirit, who is the author and perfecter of the law. Now, next week, we're going to jump into chapter 8, and we're going to spend a few weeks there. And in chapter 8, Paul's going to tell us what it looks like and what it means to live by the Spirit. And everything he's told us so far is really building up to this section, so I encourage you to to join us for that. It's going to be rich. It's going to be helpful. It's going to be powerful. What Paul is saying here is before we can get there, we need to understand as believers We need to embrace the reality that we don't belong to the law. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. That we have been set free not only from sin, but we have been set free from the law. We have been set free not only from the bad things that produce death, but we have been free from the good things that are incapable of producing true life. Now imagine you are a first century Jewish Christian hearing this for the very first time. Everything you've ever known in terms of your history, your culture, your tradition, 
your identity, your way of life, how you thought, how you perceived the world. Paul is saying, let go of it. He's not just saying separate yourself from it. He's saying you're dead to it. You no longer belong to it. I mean, where do you even begin? Where do you even start in terms of how you see your sight, how you see yourself and how you view life? The only thing you know in that moment is that you belong to Christ and Christ alone. In many ways, you're like a, a newborn child. Hence the phrase, born again. Completely and utterly dependent and reliant on the Holy Spirit. And that is exactly Paul's point. That in order to truly and freely serve Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we have to be free. Not just from sin, but also from all the good things that are incapable of producing anything truly good in and of itself. Now, the obvious challenge for us today in applying this passage is recognizing that we don't have the same relationship to the law that these first century Jewish Christians did. So when Paul tells us we no longer belong to the law, it's like, cool, we never did. When he says, free yourself from it, come out from under it, well, that's not a problem because we were never tied to it. But the question we need to ask is, are there good things in our life that have the potential to get in the way of what God may want us to do? Are there good things that in and of itself are incapable of producing anything truly good and lasting here in this life, good things that we perhaps hold on to a little too tightly. And as I was thinking about this, there were two things that, that came to mind in terms of good things that God may be asking us to, to let go of. Two things that have the potential to get in the way of what he might want us to do. And those two things are this. One, it's the party that we belong to. And two, the personality we've been given. The party we belong to and the personality we've been given. So let's talk party. Now, when I refer to party, I'm not specifically referring to our political party, although we can include that. But by party, I'm, I'm simply referring to any group of people, any way of thinking that significantly shapes what we do, how we think, how we see ourselves. It can be a group, a culture that gives us a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of, of purpose, a belief, an ideology that we ascribe to or that we align with. And it really can be anyone or anything. It can be family. It can be a group of friends. It can be a church. It can be a school. It can be a country, an ethnicity, a specific demographic. It can be a profession or a passion. It can be an interest group, a fan club, an online forum. It can really be anyone or anything. 
It can be Clipper Nation or Dodger Blue or some kind of mountain biking crew. It can be we the Kakimotos or, or we the whatever your last name is. It can be us conservative or us progressives, Democrats or Republicans, reformed or charismatic, baby boomers or millennials, Asian Americans or just Americans. And there's nothing wrong with being a part of these groups. Nothing wrong with supporting these groups. Nothing wrong with identifying with these groups. But as Christians, we need to recognize that we do not belong to these groups. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. That these groups may be well intended for good and maybe even have the ability to accomplish a certain amount of good, but in and of itself, they are incapable of truly producing anything good in us or through us. That these things may be from God and of God and for God, but they are not God. That because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his death, his resurrection, we have died to everything of this world and we have been raised to life fully belonging to him. It's why Jesus says you are in this world, but not of it. And the reason it's important for us to, to recognize this is that so that we will be completely free to follow the Holy Spirit. That if God were to ask us to do anything, there would be absolutely nothing that would get in the way. That we would be more influenced by God's voice, God's heart, God's word exponentially more than anyone else or anything else. Now, some of you are familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus says there's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on his way, he is, he is beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Well, the first two people to encounter this man are, encounter this man are religious people, a priest and a Levite. And rather than helping him, they cross the street and they pass him on the other side. Why? Because of their understanding of the law. That their commitment to something good, like the law, actually prevented them from doing what God would have wanted them to do. Who or what influences how we think? Who or what influences what we do? how we perceive the world, how we view ourselves. And do those things have the potential to get in the way of what God may want us to do? So one potential good thing is the party we belong to. Secondly, the personality we've been given. Perhaps nothing shapes what we do and how we view ourselves more than our personality, right? Our personality is what affects how we think, how we feel, how we respond to any and every situation. Our personality is our, our strengths and weaknesses, our likes and dislikes, our passion and all of our quirks. 
In many ways, it's what makes us special. It makes, it makes us unique. And it, it's our personality, right? That God has given us, his gift to us for, for our good, for his glory. And today we have a bunch of tools, wonderful tools, helpful tools to help us understand our personality, right? We have things like Meyer-Briggs and Enneagram and Shape and Disc and Strength Finder and, and so on. That I have these phrases and description to help me understand who I am. Things like ENFJ, Enneagram 9 Wing 1, I and S, extrovert or introvert that I am type A or type B, maximizer, learner, otter, beaver, and so on. And all these things are very helpful in that they help to describe us, but they do not define us. That our personalities are an expression of God, but they are not a condition for Him. That God created us with these personalities, but He's not limited by our personalities. That our personalities belong to us, but we don't belong to our personalities. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. How many of us have ever thought to ourselves, I would never do that. I could never do that because that's not who I am. Or God would never ask me to do that because that's not how I'm, I'm wired. And the question is, says who? Says, says God or says you? Says me. Many of you are familiar with the story of Moses. Right in Exodus chapter 3, God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And basically what God tells Moses is, I, I've heard my people cry out to me. I am going to rescue my people out from Egypt. And I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, the greatest leader of the greatest military of the greatest nation, and you're going to bring my people out. What's Moses' response? Moses, Moses basically tells God, who am I to do such a thing? I, I, I'm not gifted. I'm not talented. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not wired. I don't have the personality to do such a thing. What's God's response? God simply says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, don't get me wrong. Our personalities are a good thing. They are a gift from God. But all I'm saying is this. Did God give us our personalities? Yes. Does God have a purpose for our personalities? Of course. Will God use us according to our personality? Probably. Does he have to? Of course not. And we just need to be open to that possibility. You see, how free are we to obey God? How free are we to serve Jesus? How free are we to follow the Holy Spirit? Do we come before God with a blank canvas, saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do? 
or do, do we have conditions? Do we have certain limitations? Do we have certain preconceived notions? Do we come before God with certain assumptions that these are things that I'm willing to do and these are things that I'm, I'm not willing to do? Or these are things that I think you would ask me to do, but these are things I'm pretty sure you would never ask me to do. How open are we to follow the Spirit? Are there certain sins in our life that entangle us and bog us down? And are there good things in our life that potentially get in the way of what God is asking us to do? And if so, we need to, to let go. We need to see ourselves as no longer belonging to those things, but belonging to Christ and Christ alone. So as we close our, our time here this morning, as we move into this new week, let us consider these things. Let us come before God. Let us ask Him, God, is there anything that is in the way of serving you? Are there certain sins? If so, show me. But are there also good things that are getting in the way? And if so, show me those too. And help me to let go of those things, to see myself free from those things so that I can serve you, so that I can follow the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you for everything that you have done for us, that you have bought us with your flesh and your blood, that you have saved us so that we can freely and fully and completely belong to you. And God, we want to live for you. We want to freely serve you. We want to, to walk with you, to do life with you, under you, and for you. So God, if there is anything that is getting in the way, I just pray that you reveal that to us, that you'd speak to us, that you would reveal those things so that we can let go so that we can fully and completely follow you and serve you and walk with you. So God, I ask that your spirit moves each and each and every one of us. I ask that you speak. And I ask that you give us the ability to hear and you give us the faith and the courage to obey. We thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.